Well, good morning, City View. It is so good to be back with you. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, matter of fact, since October 6th, or not October 6th, September 6th, since I've been with you. And I want to just say thank you so much for the outpouring of love, from the cards to the texts to the, the, the uh, calls to the posts on social media. And just, man, what a wonderful church and, and body we have that just uh, comes to the aid of someone who's lost uh, an only brother and so forth. That was just a shock to us all. And again, thank you for your prayers, praying for me and my family and also Melinda and uh, Brittany and Gabe and Tiffany and Josh and their little son Jackson as, long, as, long, as well as my mom and dad. And again, just thank you so much. What a blessing it is to be a part of the body of Christ. And we know that he's in glory. He has a new body and he's reunited with many family members that have gone to be with the Lord. And someday we will be reunited with him and again, thank you for that. But today we want to conclude our series, and I want to talk to you about voting biblically and how that can transform a nation as we conclude our series, Unshakable, Standing Firm in an Unsteady World. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us. We just pray that we would hide your word in our hearts that we may not sin against you. We know this is a very tough, touchy subject that we're going to just uh, dive into and, and uh, look through from your word. So God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit has to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're living in a day that just talking about voting this November can easily become toxic because people both unchurched and church have already taken sides. They're, they've remained committed to their positions, to their parties, to political persons that they plan on voting for uh, this coming election. And this year's election has brought so much divisiveness. I've never seen it in my life. It has been facilitated by disharmony, chaos, confusion in our broader society that we've ever seen before. And I truly believe that the Bible offers us guidance. It gives us guidance that we need to make wise voting decisions. And those decisions should reflect the kingdom principles rather than allegiance to any political party. So this morning, what I want us to look at is Matthew 5, 13 through 14. Jesus even reminded us why we are here as Christians on this earth. And when he said in Matthew 5, 13 to 14, you are the salt of the earth, but if its salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. You need to say that where you're at. You are the light of the world. A city put on a lampstand, but it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, as the church of Jesus Christ and as salt and light, we are to shine the light on evil. We are to expose and to preserve our culture to godliness and not godlessness. When Christians retreat from the arena of government, let me tell you something, friends, we're allowing the enemy to prevail in a place where Christ commanded us to make an impact, and that is to be salt and light. Here's an old proverb that is still true today, and I quote, bad politicians are elected by good people who do not vote. Bad politicians are elected by good people who do not vote. If you're a Christian, you should know that God has called you. You should understand that God has commissioned each of us to be salt and to be light by bringing people to Christ, by discipling them with God's word, and also persevering, uh, preserving the moral fabric of America, which is to be one nation under God, not one nation over God. Now in Joshua 1, 7 through 8, it says, and I read, only be strong and very courageous. 
Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law, meaning the word of God, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Now, this commandment from God was not only for Joshua and for the people of Israel. Why? Uh, because God desires that our nation uh, be founded on the biblical principles, just as much as the principles that he was telling Joshua and the people of Israel. And this passage of scripture that I just read is just as applicable for us today as it was for Joshua and the people of Israel. And we have to always remember that our nation, the United States of America, even though it feels like the divided states of America, it is the United States of America, and it was founded on certain unalienable rights endowed by our Creator, which includes life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Joshua 5, 13 through 15 says this, Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite of him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, rather I indeed come now as the captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell his, on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. Now, I want us to look at Joshua 5.13. In that passage of Scripture, Joshua poses a question to the person in front of him, not knowing it was God, as he asked the person, are you one of us or one of our enemies? Are you for us or for our adversaries? And what does the Bible say? No, neither, neither. God's position, friends, if you think about it, the commander of the army of the Lord said, it's neither. God's political position is that he is kingdom independent because he rules over the nations of this earth. When I look back at the encounter Joshua had, I discovered three things in the passage that we just read in Joshua 5, 13 through 15. Number one is this, he realized whose presence he was in. I wanna encourage you friends that no matter what we're dealing with in this culture today, you need to remember whose presence you are in. You are in the presence of a mighty God. Joshua in the middle of knowing who surrounded him in the midst of the battle that he was dealing with, he worshiped the Lord. Let me just tell you friends, you need to worship God more than ever before. You need to worship God. Stop looking at what's going on on TV. Stop reading social media. Stop looking at all these things and start to worship the Lord. Begin to worship the Lord and remember whose presence you are in today. Our battles will always be won when we choose to worship the living God. Amen. The second thing I observe is his priorities were in order. His priorities were in order. Joshua acknowledged the captain as his Lord. He acknowledged that and he ended up saying to God, your servant. His priorities were in order. He was willing to do whatever the Lord asked of him to do. And as we read on, the third observation that I see from this passage that we just read is he consecrated himself to the Lord. He consecrated himself to the Lord and he obeyed the voice of the Lord. By what? By taking off his sandals because that's exactly what he was asked to do because he was standing on holy, holy ground. And he knew that the land he stood on was holy. He didn't question that or say, God, are you sure? Or whatever it may have been. You see, holy means to be set apart. God was setting Joshua apart and the land uh, which he was giving him, he was setting it apart. 
And I truly believe that God has set the United States of America apart from any other nation as a special destiny to disciple nations. America is known as one of the greatest missionary uh, uh, senders in the world. It's probably one of the greatest missionary givers uh, in terms of giving to send people to go into the four corners of this world. But today, many in our culture have removed God from their lives, from their family, from the family structure, from our education, from schools and universities, and literally the citizenry of a society. And from those decisions, we have now developed into a culture of destruction, of chaos, of strife, of fear, of division, of hatred, of confusion, which now rules the land and literally the hearts of humanity today. But in the middle of whatever you're facing, in the middle of what you're dealing with, just like in the Old Testament, God used one man in Joshua to make a difference in the life of the children of Israel. And I sometimes think as Christians, we think, what difference can one life make? What difference can my one vote make? But friends, think about what a difference one spark can make in a dry forest. We've seen the devastations of these fires. It can be devastating, unfortunately, for the wrong reasons. You and I need to realize that we can make a huge difference with our vote and with our voice. And as Christians, when people choose not to vote, they are literally shunning their God-given responsibility to be a voice of righteousness in the public square. When I said to you that we're supposed to be salt and light, we're not supposed to hide under a bucket. We're not supposed to, you know, um, you know, do certain things. We are to shine and be responsible by allowing the voice of righteousness to be declared in the public square. Did you know that your vote can, can be a protest against an ungodly worldview? Or it can be an endorsement of a biblical worldview? It just depends on what you do. And as you, as you are informed about the persons that you're voting for, the parties that you're uh, participating in, or the propositions that are on the ballots, you must cast your vote for righteousness. You must cast your vote for justice. Listen to me this morning. As your pastor, I am preaching to you not from my uh, personal opinions. I am preaching to you from what God's perspective says and what God's word says. I'm not being persuaded by polls. I'm not being persuaded. No one's paid me. This is what the word of God is teaching us and saying to us today. You need to know that the values of the kingdom of God are, are in order when you cast your vote for that particular party or that particular person or that particular platform that best reflects biblical values. Dr. Tony Evans, one of my heroes, is a great pastor of, of a church in the Dallas, Texas area. And he was asked this great question that I think we might sometime or another um, ask ourselves or someone might even ask us. And this question was posed to Dr. Evans, and they said, why do I need to vote if God has already decided who's going to win or lose? What's the purpose? Why? Well, Dr. Evans answered that question by asking another question. He said, why bother to pray if you know that God is going to do what he wants to do anyway? And he said this, Dr. Evans said this, of course, there are things that God has decided he will do, and there are things that he has decided he will not do. But in between those two lines are a whole group of things God might do. But he has decided that he will only do them in response to his people's prayers and his people's actions. So if you don't pray, you don't get them. If you don't do the natural, how can God do the supernatural? You see, church, I believe that our actions can determine which way God will move at times in our land. And when it comes to voting, we must vote for the candidate and the party that will give God an opportunity to advance his kingdom. Not destroy his kingdom, but advance his kingdom. A study by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life a few years ago showed that 62% of Christians, 62, that means 6 out of 10, 
say their faith has little to do with their voting decisions. Let me just tell you something. That is sick. That's horrible. Six out of ten Christians, when they go to the polls or when they're filling out their ballots, they don't take this into consideration. That is sad. So as we go into the election of November, we need to remember a couple of things. Number one is this. God is not a Republican and he is not a Democrat. He is not an elephant and he is not a donkey. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lamb of God. And as Christians and followers of Jesus, my ultimate allegiance, your ultimate allegiance is not to a party. It is not to a council. It is not to a mayor. It is not to a governor or even the president, but it is to the king of kings and to the Lord of lords. So when it comes to our elections, we must ask the question, which party platform, which candidate, which policies are mostly closely aligned to the kingdom of God, to God's values and to God's systems? Now, as a realist, as your pastor, I understand that not everybody is going to answer that question exactly the same. We're going to look at Scripture a little differently, or we're going to read the way we want it to be read, or, or the way we want it to be expressed, or whatever it may be. But friend, the kingdom of God will always trump the kingdom of humanity. No matter how much humanity tries to twist or deceive or contort the Scriptures to their own validity or to their own desires or whatever it may be, the kingdom of God will always trump the kingdom of humanity. So if you, totally, if, if, you vote to, if you totally vote along party lines, which some people do, without asserting God's perspective, then you could be voting against God. You could be because your loyalty is to a party and not to the power and the presence of an almighty God. We need to remember, secondly, whose side are we on? This is not an issue of blue or red. This is not an issue about Democrat or Republican. This is not an issue about Biden or Trump. Whose side are you on? And the side that you need to be on today is God's side, not man's side or not a party's side. He should be the Lord over every part of our lives, including who we vote for. You see, the biggest problem facing our nation is not who's going to be in the White House or who is in the White House. Our biggest issue is not who is in Congress or in the Senate or even on the Supreme Court. Our biggest issue is not what bills are passed or what laws are passed. The biggest issue facing our culture today is the absenteeism of God. The absenteeism of God. If our society chooses not to bring the spiritual aspect of God into the social world, into the educational world, into the economic world, into the political world, or the government aspect of our culture, our nation is in big trouble. And let me just tell you this right now, our nation is already in trouble because of the absenteeism of God by our society. We need to understand that God's perspective on how we should vote should vote is in the Bible. But the problem is Christians like to change books. They like to change goalposts. They take part of this book called the Bible when it comes to their political positions. But we cannot ignore the whole counsel of God. Dr. Evans said this, and it's on the screen. Kingdom voting is the opportunity and the responsibility of committed Christians to partner with God by expanding His rule in society through civil government. It's only to the decree that you include God's person and God's policies in society through civil government as He defines it, not as you prefer it. Let me say that again one more time. Kingdom voting is the opportunity and responsibility of committed Christians to partner with God by expanding His rule in society through civil government. It's only to the degree that you include God's person and God's policies in society through civil government as he defines it and not as you prefer it. You see, we do a lot of things based on preference. 
you like tomato, you say tomato, I say tomato. You know, you, you like plain peanut butter, I like chunky peanut butter. We all have preferences. But there's a difference between preference and God, the person, and God's policies when it comes to Scripture. We need to remember what Genesis 9, 6 says. It says this, Whosoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. I believe that abortion is the number one injustice issue of our time. Let me tell you why, friends. Some will say, well, racism is the biggest issue, or the concern for the poor, or immigration is the biggest issue. But you see, out of 631 laws in the Old Testament, it eventually came down to 10. And if you read Exodus 20:13, it's the sixth commandment. And what does the sixth commandment say? Thou shalt not murder. God never endorses what the culture is allowing. God never endorses what the culture is allowing that is unbiblical and that does not line up to his nature. However, don't just vote for the sake of voting. You need to take it one step further and you need to vote for biblical values. I want to encourage you when it comes to who you should vote for, start with the right to life. Find out if the candidate is for life. You see, life is the first God-given right of every human being. If you don't have life, you can't enjoy liberty. You can't experience the pursuit of happiness if you don't have life. Because all other rights depend on your availability to live. I'm so thankful to God that my mom and dad said yes to life and not to convenience. I'm so thankful to God that they said yes to what the Lord said to my mom. Don't destroy this child because I'm going to use it for my glory. I'm so thankful for that. In America, nearly 1.3 million unborn children's lives end in abortion. That's nearly 25% of all pregnancies end in abortion. That's a fourth. The Bible says in Proverbs uh, that God hates the shedding of innocent blood. Secondly, the other thing that I want to encourage you to look at when it comes to biblical values is go to the importance of the family. How does the candidate or the party look at the family today? That, that civil government should support the traditional family institution the way God intended it to be. You see, marriage is between one man and one woman. And that is essential, that is basic, that is necessary. In fact, the two genders, male and female, were meant to complete each other physically, emotionally, and in every other way. I'm not saying this because I hate a certain race, a, a certain uh, persona or, or a certain personality or the way people's lifestyle is. I'm basing this off of what the Word of God says. Dr. James Dobson said, and I quote, more than 10,000 studies have concluded that kids do best when they are raised by a mom and a dad. Choose a candidate who's willing to stand and protect the value of traditional marriage. And then look for a candidate who chooses the value of religious freedom. Because as many historians have concluded, a society can only work in a moral atmosphere. That's the only way a nation can survive. You see, freedom must be guarded. It has to be protected. It has to be defended. True freedom comes at a great cost. It comes at, uh, it comes at, at great price and sacrifice in our, in our society. And one of the most basic of freedoms fought for and won is found in the First Amendment. And it says this, and I quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Close quote. Unfortunately, our freedom is under fire in America, especially religious liberty. That is why I, as your pastor, as a Christian and as a Christ follower for the rights, will choose to follow the rights of the unborn until abortion is illegal and rare. Did you hear what I said? I am not ashamed to say what I just said. 
that I will contend as a Christian, as a man of God, and as the pastor of this church, or a pastor and a member of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a Christ follower for the rights of the unborn. I will not vote for anyone who is pro-choice. I will contend for the life from the womb all the way till they pass away and go into the tomb. I'm asking you to make this pledge before God that you will vote pro-life. That you will vote pro-life. Now, that decision is up to you. I've made my decision between the Lord, but that decision comes to you if you're willing to accept that challenge. It doesn't matter if their person's a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian. If both of the party leaders are pro-abortion, then I will write in someone who is for life. And finally, if you have not registered to vote, please do so. Vote biblically. Vote biblical values. Vote for what is on the heart of God. Now, I believe that there are biblical positions on every issue. But no party fully represents all God's views consistently on all God's issues. Christians are going to vote differently because they will prioritize issues differently. My concern as your pastor is that we'll, we're so aligned ourselves with the parties of this world that we're missing the perspective of the kingdom of God. And we need to be careful of that. So as we close, I want to challenge each of you to think critically. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. Our core values as Christians are outlined in the Bible. The Democrats, the Republicans, the Libertarians, etc. also publish a list of principles upon which their party and their candidates will stand. All parties have beliefs that reflect their goals and their purpose to achieve if they're elected. Number two, you need to read, you need to learn, you need to know the differences between the party platforms or the person that you're looking to elect. It is your job to know the party platforms and to see if they align and affirm biblical beliefs. You cannot separate your faith from how you vote at the polls. What did I say earlier? 62%, 6 out of 10, leave their faith at the, do at the poll or on the ballot. They don't, they don't look at what God's Word says, and that's sad. It is essential. You cannot separate your faith from how you vote at the polls. It is faith in action. It is essential to know what parties propose for your nation, for our nation, or you could be misled by a candidate's campaign speech with just empty promises. That's why it's important to do your homework on the candidate or on the proposition or on the bill or on the ballot or, or on, the, on the candidate. Don't just listen to the campaign rhetoric. Look at their records in office. Don't just watch their political ads. Look at their positions on the issues. When you hear the phrase, vote straight ticket, be careful because there may be times a candidate's values stand in opposition to your faith or what you believe in, or what God's Word says. Even though they run on the, the party platform of your choice, make a further prayerful determination through a vetting process. Know who is running, the position they take, their moral stand. Pray for God's direction. Counsel with others. You might consider who is the lesser of two evils. Now, I'm going to put on this uh, online service today a resource that I want to encourage you to go to. And it'll be up there for a while, or if you've got to pause it, pause it. But I want to encourage you to read the synopsis of the party platforms and contrast them at www.biblicalvoter.com slash major party platform comparisons. Please make sure to look at that. It, you might want to download it. It might be 40 pages. I don't know what it may be. But I want to encourage you to do that if you can. Being registered to vote is one of the most cherished American privileges. I remember when I turned 18 and I was able to vote in 1988. I was like, yes. Yes, I was excited to be able to, to be a part of, of our society and to vote for people both local, state, and national. It was exciting. And let me tell you something, friends. Voting is a privilege. It's a freedom. 
It's an opportunity that millions in other parts of the world, they can only dream about. Yet many Americans strangely choose not to vote. They don't vote. And less than half of these eligible to vote actually do so in any given election. Did you know, in, in, for example, in 2004, in 2004, out of 60 million plus evangelical Christians in America, nearly half of them failed to vote. That is sick. Half didn't do anything, didn't become responsible, were not the voice of righteousness in the land in that time. And as Christians, it is our duty as citizens to elect candidates who promise to represent biblical values or biblical beliefs. Our decisions decide who will rule in government. Elected officials are either godly, representing time-honoring Judeo-Christian ethics, or ungodly and potentially wicked. Registering to vote biblically includes our willingness to apply what the Bible says on issues like I just mentioned earlier on life, marriage, family, freedom, and even Israel. We align our faith to the person or the party that most represents biblical values. It is remembering as Christians that we're obligated to honor the Lord in our associations. As it says in Psalms 1.1, Do not stand in the way of sinners, walk in the way of ungodly, or sit in the seat of the mocker. I've got some scriptures that I want to read to you that are found in Deuteronomy 1.13. It says, Choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes. Now, back then they used the word men, but they were talking about men, women. You know, in today's culture, it's everyone. Um, among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. You see, another word for choose is vote. It's elect. Your vote matters. Not to vote is a vote for evil. To vote blindly, not considering God's non-negotiable moral values, is a sin. Proverbs 29.2 says this, When the righteous, meaning the godly, are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, the people groan. You see, when the wicked rule, they rewrite God's law. They rewrite legalized murder, theft, abuse, sexual immorality. Civil societies crumble and cultures turn into cesspools of filth under this. People are hurt. Now, now let me give you an example. Imagine a house on fire. I pray to God your house never gets on fire. Or maybe you saw a house on fire, but imagine a house on fire. And as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you're the fireman, you're the firewoman. And we're to fight the fire and save the people. This is salvation. It's the gospel. It's our job. We are not to run from the blaze, but rather it is exactly what we, we need to do because we're dealing with fires of corruption that have overtaken America today. Christians are deluded into believing that getting involved is someone else's responsibility. Oh, I'll just let someone else save that person. I mean, if your house was on fire and your family was in it, are you going to go knock on the door of your neighbor and say, hey, can you go save my family? No, you're going to do whatever it takes to save your family because that's your family. And I want to encourage you that you have a responsibility. You see, America is a unique governmental system of the people, by the people, and for the people. When we hand our authority over to people who reject God, they indoctrinate our children, they divide our communities, and they destroy our heritage. The Bible says in Colossians 2.8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through the philosophies and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ. How do we quell these fires of corruption that we're dealing with today, friends? We must approach God. We've got to confess the sin of our lack of, of, of involvement. We have to repent. And when we repent, we welcome God back into our culture. Our nation needs to repent of their sins. We have fallen so short of God's glory. Christians are God's political first responders. 
Christians should run for office. They should register to vote and they should vote biblically. We should donate to candidates. We should attend school board meetings. We should pray at state houses. It was a, a joy to be able to do the invocation for our county supervisors. And then they, they asked me, we don't just want you to do this uh, virtually. We want you to do this live when we can come back in person. I love doing, uh, you, know, a pray, um, you know, the pray day that we have as a nation. And, and to be able to do that at, in Coronado like I did a year ago and just to be a part of things like we did in San Diego too and to be able to pray for our nation in front of hundreds of people. Uh, but I love doing things like that. We need to conduct peaceful rallies. Peaceful rallies. We oppose evil legislation. We write, we call, we vote the ungodly out of office. And, and when they try to shut down our churches, we resist and we band together as a community of believers. And we say, we're going to continue to go forward like we're doing today. Having our outdoor services and so forth. Doing things like getting in, in, involved in, in the church and, and uh, outreach and so forth. I want to encourage you, do not forsake the assembly. If there's a way you can come to church, come to church. If you can't, I understand. But don't be staying home because of convenience. If you're vulnerable, that's another story. But if you've come to the conclusion where you're just staying home because of convenience and you like being in your slippers then having to put on shoes, hey, you can still come to church in your slippers. I don't care. Just don't forsake the assembly. Come together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's so important. We need each other. We need each other more than ever before. Each of us must decide and exercise our political and moral governmental authority. This means we speak, and we just don't speak what we speak loudly. We assemble and we assemble freely. We petition and we petition often. We write and we write honestly. We exercise our religious freedoms to attend our churches and take the gospel into the public square. We do not allow ungodly laws to inhabit our freedoms. You see, here's the bottom line tonight, friends, or today as we wrap up this service. The only thing standing in the way of the end of our nation is Christians who do, nothing, who do little to nothing. That's where it comes down to. We trust that you care enough to take back his governmental authority. We trust and care that you want to apply that into America. Our founding father, Samuel Adams, said this, and I quote, he said, Let each citizen remember at the moment they are offering their vote that they are ex executing, they are ex executing one of the most solemn trust in human society for which they are accountable to God and their country. Close quote. Many of the Founding Fathers considered voting as a sacred responsibility. The value a biblical voter should seek when choosing a candidate in a party is life, family, freedom. But the big question facing Christians in America during this coming election is this. Are we going to let God guide our vote? Or are we going to leave our faith outside the voting booth or in the papers that we're filling out? Are we going to vote biblical values or pocketbook promises? Those are, those are two questions that I want you to think about, friends. So let us resolve here and now not to let evil men triumph simply because good men have done nothing. Let us seize the moment. Let us rise to the challenge. Let us take a bold stand for life, for traditional family, for marriage, and for freedom in this election. Let us pledge anew that our allegiance is not to the culture. Let us pledge an allegiance not to a campaign. Let us not uh, um, allege our allegiance to a platform or a party, but to Christ alone. To Christ alone, let us renew our vow to be the salt that doesn't sting but heals. To be the light that exposes but shines the way to our only hope for real change. And that is in Jesus Christ. The values of life, family, and freedom are a part of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Jesus said, I came to give you life 
and to give it to you more abundantly. There's so many things that we can see in Scripture, and we must never forget those things. But in closing, I want you to hear my heart. I want you to listen to this. Let me say this, and I want you to hear this. This is very, very important. However someone else votes, we should not dishonor them, we should not disengage from them, and we should not disrespect them. I know many of you may vote for Biden and Harris. Many of you may vote for Trump and, and Pence. Many of you may vote for this person for governor. Many of you may vote for that person for governor. Many of you may vote for this proposition or that proposition. But here's the bottom line, friends. No matter how you vote, you're my brother in Christ. You're my sister in Christ. And I will still love you. I'll, I may not agree with you, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to, you know, not, I'm going to befriend you on, on Facebook. We've gotten to a point where people are like literally telling a parent or children are telling their parents, if you vote for this person, then you won't be able to see your children or grandchildren. That is ridiculous. Because let me tell you something, friends. Whoever's in the White House, that's not forever. But, we'll, but when we go to heaven, that'll be forever if we make it there, depending on what we choose to do. You see, friends, you can, you can disagree honorably. You can engage in a loving way that demonstrates the heart of God, but, that, but also that demonstrates the truth of God. Because love must always be married to truth, and truth must always be married to love. I want to encourage you to be civil. Be civil. I will never allow you to vo your vote uh, to deter my love for you, no matter how you vote. My love for you and my relationship with you uh, should, should neither sh and neither should you. You shouldn't allow those things to happen. Whoever we vote for should not divide us because our allegiance, again, listen to me, is not to a party, is not to a person, or to a man or to a woman, but it is to God. Because we are just pilgrims passing through. Yes, we have a responsibility. I want to encourage you to vote. We're going to have um, places here at the church that you can pick up or register to vote or whatever it may be. Um, other things that we're, we're going to give you between now and, and the election. But I want to encourage you, friends, if we're going to be unshakable, we've got to vote biblically. We've got to vote biblically because it's through that that we can transform a nation back to the way it is, one nation under God. I hope that you heard my heart today. I mean, man, I was praying. I was just like, Lord, this is a heavy subject. You know, I know that I'm not going to make everyone happy, but I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to make you holy. That is what God has called me to do. And I want you to know my heart is I love you. I care for you. But I'd rather be a fool in your eyes than the fool in the eyes of God. So hear my heart. And as your shepherd, know I love you. I care for you. And I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God will give you wisdom. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads in this moment. Unless you're driving as you're listening to me. That's another story. Father, we pray right now, and I want to ask you a couple of questions, friends. Whose side are you on today? Are you on humanity's side? Are you on a political party side? Are you on the Lord's side? Whose side are you on? Joshua decided when he heard, hey, I'm on neither side. He had to make a decision. He decided he's going to be on the Lord's side. Secondly, Lord Jesus, we have to, will you choose to vote? I hope that you will vote this year and that you will vote biblically. What is God challenging you? What is God calling you to do? I shared with you my convictions. I shared with you and I challenged you in my convictions. But only you can do and only you can decide what is best for you and what the Lord is telling you to do. And I respect that. But please seek the Lord. Don't leave your faith outside the pole. Don't leave your faith when you, walk through, when you, when you start checking off that ballot. Bring him in the picture, friends. 62% of Christians don't bring their faith into the poll, and that is sad. And lastly, is there an area that you need to repent of today? 
Maybe you've become so hateful towards another person or another party or whatever it may be, and it's made your life miserable. God, bitterness will kill you if you're not careful. Just release them. Say, God, you said on the cross, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Help me to have that same attitude when I see that person on TV or or that person running for this office or that office, Lord Jesus, because my allegiance is not to a man or a party. My allegiance is to you, God Almighty. I'm doing my part. I'm trusting you to do your part, but no matter what happens, my focus is not on who's in the White House, but rather my focus is on who's in my house, my temple, and may be the spirit of the living God. So Lord, we thank you. Help us to pray every time at 150 for our nation, for our state, local, and national leaders, both who we have now and who may, we may have after this election, God. 1.50 a.m. or p.m. May we be committed to praying every day for our nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I love you. I hope you have a great day, and uh, we'll see you next week as we start a new series, and you hear more about it in our moments uh, with Monty the Magnificent as we give some announcements on this exciting new series coming up on the book of Genesis. God bless you. Bye-bye.